Hi, y'all. It's Herji and Margot. Welcome to the bundle of hers. We are re-releasing a episode where we discuss the difference between inclusion and tokenism. I've been thinking about this a lot. As we progress, we also look back on the content that we have released. One thing that I think we didn't mention in this episode was the concept of justice. So hopefully now we will move from inclusion to justice. Harjeet, I think it's a very valuable conversation. And like you said, we're lifelong learners and it's important to add and re-listen to these conversations and add what you've learned recently. And so we hope you all enjoy this episode until we can get more episodes out for you. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, our producer, Chloe, she showed us a um, pamphlet that she got from her um, marketing communications meeting. And um, the title of it was Tokenism versus Inclusion. She hands us the paper. And then the first thing Lean says, what does that even mean? Do you guys know what that means? I'm sure you're going to tell us. Well, I have. <laughs> let's put it this way. I, if you asked me to define it, I'm not sure if I could clearly define tokenism versus um, inclusion in a very simple way right now, but I have heard of the terms before. So I actually was like, let me do some research. You know how we have to do so much research for our evidence-based medicine. Yep. Um, so I looked it up and there was actually, um, there's a definition that was in the dictionary that I want to talk about from the Mary Merriam Webster dictionary. Is that how you say it? I don't know her. Sure. <laughs> Why not? (laughs) So they define tokenism as the practice of doing something only to prevent criticism and give the appearance that people are being treated fairly. So has there ever been a time where you felt tokenized? So it's interesting when I think about it, because I think we're kind of approaching tokenism in a negative way. But for me personally, the, the experiences that I've had or that I can recall right now are not necessarily negative. The thing that comes to my mind is when I was applying to medical school, there's, and I don't know where we hear these things on student doctor network or whatnot in the chain of gossip, right? That like, Oh, university of Utah doesn't, they need more women in their medical school. And so you'll have a higher chance applying as a woman. Initially I'm like, well, it doesn't, I don't believe that. I believe that they're going to like holistically, evaluate my application and not just accept me because I'm a woman. But in the back of my head, there's something a little bit comforting about that thought of like, oh, maybe I will get an extra point for being a woman. And so I don't know if that fits into this definition of tokenism and it may be very different than your experiences, but like that's one thing that comes to mind right now. But Margo, is that really tokenism? Because the definition that Harjeet just read implies that along with maybe getting those opportunities, it's just face value. You don't necessarily get the equal treatment behind that. Right. And so that's why I like related it to before I was actually here at the U and I was just hearing through the chain of gossip about like, oh, if you're a woman, you'll get it. You just get in. You get extra points because they need women. And so based on that, I think it's tokenism, quote unquote. But now that I know there's like a lot of value in equity that comes with it i don't know See, that's the key thing though you said equity right equity means being treated the same for the same amount of work for whatever and it shouldn't uh be reflective off of uh race sexual orientation gender any of that but the idea of tokenism is that there is no equity 
that you're just there simply to as a placeholder. I want to sound off of this um, that tokenism is that you are being used as another power play. You're being used by the person in power, the group that's in the majority, just to, you know, feel more powerful, like have Mm -hmm. this false sense of acknowledgement, like, oh, I'm doing great work. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm hiring this person or I'm accepting this person into the school to avoid criticism that they're not doing so in the beginning. And that so, stops, so that's how they rectify the situation. And that's right. and that the tokenism what it does is it stops people from investigating. Oh, this is the issue. Cuz why do we need to investigate? We have people of color. Fair. We have women in our group. Ta-da, the problem is fixed. Yeah, that's fair. So then I'll ask you but what are what is your experience in feeling like a token? That is a good question. I'm trying to think of an example. I think that a lot of the times I'll speak for myself and maybe Harjit, you'll agree with me is I tend to overlook a lot of the things that maybe would be considered tokenism. So I come from a Muslim background, so I don't think it's okay to uh, make it seem like that I'm going to be the spokesperson for every patient that's Muslim and that we're all, we all think the same and we all would follow the same treatment plan or whatever the case may be. And I I have felt like I needed to be a spokesperson for either my race, my religion, being a woman. um, I think it's important to realize that even within these different facets of myself, there's a vast um, amount of thoughts and thought processes within these identities that I hold. And I don't want to take that responsibility of being the spokesperson within my identities. That's what the effect of tokenism is sometimes yeah i don't know if you agree with that i really agree with that i think um while preparing for this um episode i was thinking of times where i felt like a token and you know what i've lost count that's how many times i felt like i was being tokenized you know one particular example that comes to my mind is i remember i was part of an organization And that organization was fairly large. I was part of this group that, you know, one of the things we were working on was diversity. And um, there was this other group in this organization that kind of wanted to collaborate with us um, because they were like, oh, we're starting a group, too, about diversity. And we think it's important that, like, you know, we talk to you guys. And I was like, yeah, we're we're fully for that. That's what one of our goals are. Right. And so um, they met with us. They took ideas from us. And then when it came time to be acknowledged where those ideas came from or where where we were like, oh, aren't we still working together? I thought this was a long term partnership. Basically, it was like we were done. And that other group had a little bit more funding, a little bit more resources. And I would also say people in that group were a part of the majority. So that is a time where I felt like I was tokenized. Even when I've been thinking in medical school or in rotations, I'm pretty sure there have been situations where I was looked upon to, you know, provide feedback just for being a woman, just for being a person of color. But there's times where you have to, you know, just do your work and you don't have time to like tell people, right? Mm -hmm. That's where I say, I don't think it's the fault of the people I think it's just not being able to recognize the difference between being tokenized and being inclusive. 
And so that's kind of an example from my end. Tokenism gives the person this false sense of feeling that they're important Mm -hmm. or that they matter. Because like, for example, if you're like the only person with a different identity in a group, right? You're going to be like, oh, everyone's looking up to me. They're looking for me. It's difficult sometimes to parse out what those situations of inclusion versus tokenism. Right. You feel that like sense of achievement, you know, but it's almost empty because it's not long lasting. I've even had classmates say to me that I was a token, essentially, that I got into med school because of the way that I look, my skin color, me being a woman and all of these other things, which was interesting to me, basically said, doesn't matter what your test scores were. It doesn't matter how much work you put into being here. The only reason why you're here is because there was a quota that needed to be filled Mm -hmm. and you are that person, which is an interesting thought because even like me feeling like a token is one thing. And then other people thinking that I'm a token is another thing. Right. Yeah. So in the back of my head, everything that I moving forward do needs to prove that I'm here on my own merit. I got here the same way as everyone else did. I busted my ass to be here. And I have just as just as much right to voice my opinion, to do the things that I want to do because I put in that work. And so I think the idea of like tokenism devalues all of that work that we put in to be here. You know what I mean? Right. So inclusion for me looks like not only am I a part of this group, but my voice, my ideas are being turned into actions. Mm, I think that's a perfect definition. I think a lot of the times minorities, people of color, women are used as the face of, you know, the school or a certain company or whatever, but they don't have power behind it. They don't have the voice to put into action behind it. And I think that's where inclusivity is different. And I think one positive thing from that um, paper Chloe gave to us, it seems like the University of Utah at least is at least trying to push that initiative. It might take a long time for it to be like come into fruition, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's nice to know that people even want to write on a paper tokenism versus inclusion. And I was actually shocked when I saw that paper. I was like, what? Like people even think this is a thing Mm -hmm. because I thought it was all in my head for a long time, you know. And so it was really nice to see that there was this brochure. So the way I've been recently navigating subconsciously or not even with this context in mind, um, navigating the difference between inclusion and tokenism is recently when I've been watching TV shows and I see a new character of a different race or a different sexual orientation on the show. And then in the back of my head, I'm wondering what was going behind the screenwriter's idea of including that person or that specific role. And then I kind of watch the show to see, does that character develop and into a point of inclusion? So I think for me, the tipping point is like tokenism is just putting that character in the background just to say, look, we included that checkbox right Mm -hmm. and then inclusion is making that bringing that character forward into the light and going deeper into their personality but again you can't have one person represent the whole 
Because you have to focus on the individual. And you know what show does a great job of that? Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't get focused on, uh, for example, they have like this character that's transgender. But you're not hyper-focused on the fact that he's transgender because there are so many other facets of um, his personality and, like, you know, why did he go into medicine and his background and stuff like that that keep me grounded in the fact that he's a human being and an individual. Mm -hmm. And they do that with so many other characters, too. And I think they do a great job of being an inclusive show from season one. Exactly. Not not now in 2018 when people are hyper uh, focused and hyper aware of these kind of things. But it's just been, you know, set as the undertone for the show. Right. And fun fact about Grey's Anatomy is their casting director actually does what's called blind casting. So they don't actually see the people that they are going to bring onto the show before they're there. And so that's kind of cool. But that's, so that's the way I've been navig or, or thinking about tokenism versus inclusion anyways, because I haven't had a lot of personal experiences like both of you have had. And so this is kind of my way of exploring it and, and yeah. better understanding it. I think the main thing is that it happens, right? Right. And it's important that we are cognizant of that. So next time you see there's 50% diversity in XYZ company or like, you know, we have 48% women. What does that mean? Yeah. So I think it's important that, you know, moving forward as people in this healthcare field to see those differences and then hopefully say something about them. My question to you is how can we um, embrace this idea of inclusion if there aren't really people to include. So coming back to the application process, how can we make the application process more inclusive? I think that is a really big problem to tackle. There's a lot of different determinants that go into that. I think one is who is applying. The second is who is accepting. And then the third is what is the system that we are evolved in, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to who is applying, there obviously needs to be a lot of work done to create pipeline programs or reach out to people that don't have the resources or don't have the voice or don't have the opportunities to get accepted in the first place, right? Yeah, higher education in general. Right. And then the next point is those that are accepting. We all need to, like I said, be very conscious of what we think diversity is what we think inclusion means. And you know what? The first step is, do you even think it matters? Because there are people that don't think it matters. Mm -hmm. Then it is trying to really understand every single person standing alone, no matter where they're from, no matter what their background is, fully understanding them. But you know what, Margo? I think that's difficult because we live in a time where, you know, to get work done fast and to be efficient, we have to standardize everything, right? And what that means sometimes is, unfortunately, it stumps people's creativity or really representing who they are as a person. And I think standardization kills inclusivity, really. How can you em embrace people's differences if everything's, you know, one after another after another? And I think that there are efforts. I will again say there are efforts being done to broaden the application process, but it will take several years. And I think what how we can do it is talk about these things, you know, and hopefully be a part of these committees or be a part of creating pipeline programs or be a part of 
putting our voice out there. I think that's one reason why I'm even a part of this podcast. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I agree that how do you make something inclusive if you don't have that in the beginning and people were, you know, how do you make something inclusive if you don't have people to be inclusive of? Yes. But I think there are people to be inclusive of. And I think it's just recognizing that in every year trying to do better. Margo, I'm going to actually put that question back on you and ask you what your thoughts are on that. I agree. There are no quick and easy fixes that can be done. But I think the application process is a huge barrier. And like you were talking about, standardization is probably the biggest thing that that I see kills inclusivity. Um, And that is something I have definitely felt in applying to medical school and looking forward into residency as well. So that's the big question, right? How do you eliminate standardization in an application process when you will get upwards of 5,000, 10,000 applicants and you can't have the person power to Mm. read through and give every one of those applicants a genuine, inclusive look. Exactly. And and I think that's where maybe the residency, um, that's where the residency application maybe differs because there's a smaller pool. But Bushra just <laughs> rolling her eyes. Rolling her eyes. <laughs> I'm just us. like so annoyed by that because, yeah, you don't have the people power or whatever to go through all those applications, but you're more than happy to accept the freaking money from all these applicants for them to apply to your school, the least that you can do is read their personal statement and get to know who, who the person is on an individual basis. I understand that maybe you don't have the capacity to do that. Then I just feel like a lot of people apply to a lot of programs and they don't get Mm -hmm. given uh, the benefit of the doubt or just a shot to go into these programs. And I don't think it's fair. I agree. And Uh, even what you just said, like give someone the chance and read their personal statement. I think the personal statement is still part of that standardization. Writing is not everyone's strength. And some people may better be able to express themselves in video or other forms that may be just as powerful as a personal statement. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Interpretive dance or whatever it is. But like, again, so also that just uh, sparked a thought in my head that you know, yeah, there might not be that ma- that like amount of people to read through applications. But, you know, I think a lot of the times we think, oh, let's just accept people and then we can work on things. But if wouldn't it be so amazing if people actually spent time mm-hmm. on the application part and that could really like change the way programs accept people? I like really agree with that thought. I think like a lot of the times when it comes to applications and I'm not not saying that this is right or anything like that. They use standardized test scores as a screening tool because that eliminates a huge chunk of the applicants, which, you know, again, I would say it's not very fair that they accept the money from the application in and of itself just to reject uh, a bunch of people off of that. But that's the method that schools have used to, you know, eliminate some applicants and decrease the workload that they would need to do to go through these applications. How do we make that better? That's a very good question. I don't know that I have the answer to it. I just kind of, I, maybe I have PTSD from. <laughs> I have a <laughs> Maybe I have PTSD from from applying to med school and just like you know hoping to get interview in, invites. 
You know what I mean? And a lot of people, like, I, I feel like some people are fortunate enough to get several uh, interviews and other are lucky to ju- to get just one. Yeah. So. so my idealistic, perfect world solution to this problem is take all the professors that are teaching lectures right now, make them a full-time admissions committee, get rid of lectures, let students learn online. <laughs> Like we already do. <laughs> and there you go. You what, have a, your, what a thought. You have your person power to yeah. read through all these applications or watch the interpretive dance videos of people who express themselves better that <laughs> yeah. way. Interview more people. Can you imagine better that? Applicants, people, not better, but uh, if people submitted like mixtapes and like exactly uh, short films and other more creative ways of like, you know, expressing yourself and convey why you want to come to med school and all that stuff other than in written form. I think that'd be very interesting. I don't know that they, that would ever be <laughs> adopted. Right. No, but because of standardization. Yeah. But in my mind, I can totally visualize it. Um, I do want to, I do want to end with the thought that tokenism sometimes comes from a good place in the sense that, oh, we want more people represented. We want to see more different ideas. But I think that, again, I would challenge everyone to think when they're starting a program or a part of a program that are you actually doing the work to be an advocate? Cause that is when you are being inclusive. So I'm really grateful that I got to have this conversation with you, Margo and you Bushra, because um, this is a topic that has been difficult to record and even to get to the point where we got a recording. It's these things that you've been directly impacted by that have hurt you in many ways that, you know, being honest means challenging some ideas and perceptions that are out in the world. So I'm happy that I could at least in a little bit express how I felt. I'm happy you guys could express how you felt. It is us being honest and raw about our emotions around tokenism and diversity. It's really difficult feeling like a, you're being used or B, you're just a face and your ideas that have taken years to develop, right? Like, because we come from certain backgrounds, certain identities, and that makes us who we are. Those aren't being appreciated. And that's always really difficult. So although this episode was really difficult to record, um, I'm happy we did it because in the end, we are speaking our own truth. And again, these are our specific experiences and don't represent anybody but ourselves but ourselves thank you for listening please follow us at bundle of hers on instagram we are also on facebook and twitter by the way guys so we have this great idea and we are gonna start this hashtag on twitter and instagram um and it's hashtag tokenism is followed by uh you filling in the blank For example, we have um, hashtag tokenism is uh, seeing your face in a brochure, but not having a seat at the table. We look forward to seeing y'all's response um, on Instagram and on Twitter. Be sure to tag us at bundle of her so we can see all your responses. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. I love your bye bye. (laughs) That's a wrap. (laughs) 